Well, we want to please open your Bibles or your devices to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. And we're just going to hold on to that um, as we're going to read in the scripture. Uh, but we're in a series at Gateway um, called More Than Conquerors. Uh, we had felt uh, God challenging us as pastors not just to have the men go through this series called the Conquer series. But we believe actually God is speaking to us at Gateway, both Panit and South. And that's why Peter uh, was preaching the message last week here, is now in the South. Uh, I'm here preaching for you guys, and then I'm going to be doing that. Because God actually wants us to do this together. The idea that God is calling the church to say we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And he's actually calling us, although we're in two locations, we're one church, God is calling us these days closer to himself. Now, just so you know, we had over 100 men and over a dozen uh, young people go to the Conquer Series last Monday. So, uh, just so you know, he is doing something amazing right now. And it was really powerful as uh, what I believe is this, is God is wanting all of us to align ourselves to his purposes. And Peter shared last week from Romans 8, the qualities of a conquering community. So, if you haven't heard that, please check it on the website if if you've missed it. We are more than conquerors, but it's God's grace that makes it possible. Just repeat that. It's God's grace that makes it possible. Well, what is grace? I would define grace as God at work. It is ultimately, actually, if you want to tell me what does it look like, it was demonstrated on the cross. The cross is God at work. Amen? To be more than a conqueror requires you to live out of that grace. We are not more than conquerors by pulling up our bootstraps and somehow willing ourselves to do harder. Uh, It's actually when we realize that grace and is something that is opposite to what I want to do. It's grace is God at work and not being in grace is me at work. It's me trying to do it by myself. And it's when I realize I can't do it, that's when you hear God say, but I can. And it opens the door for God to help me. That is grace. So let's open up our Bibles again. Put it in there. We're going to read it from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died And he died for all that those who live might live no longer, uh, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though he once, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through, God, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. I'm going to repeat that. Not counting their sins against them. And entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mary, I want to say thank you for the worship you led today because I could not have orchestrated how the, all the songs we're singing just dovetailed right to the scripture. Which tells me that God is actually speaking to us even before we open the word. You were declaring it. When I understand grace and start from God's work, it changes me. It helps me to respond to grace in a broken world. How many of you know we have a broken world? But you see, everything flows. You get grace and grace gets you. See, it releases God's love so that I can be more than a conqueror. I'm not overcome by the darkness, but overcoming the darkness with light. Because I experience his grace, his light, and his love. So how can we be more than conquerors? God's grace makes it. That's all three of you. Praise God. I love this place. (laughs) You're sending me back to the south, aren't you? God's grace makes it possible. Well, how? Well, God's grace makes it possible because, first of all, the scripture says, because his love controls us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, the word that it's saying they're controlled, some actually say uh, or compelled, the love of God compels. The word controlled is actually way more accurate because the word controlled is sunikeo. Sunikeo. Now, what does sunikeo mean in the Greek? Because obviously in the Greek they had different ways of, it could mean more than just controlled. But it means like this, to hold together. It's to hold together with constraint, actually, to compress in. It often was used for the picture, the same word used, if you've ever heard of a cattle squeeze. What is a cattle squeeze? Well, for all of those from Alberta and uh, other places who understand a little bit more with the uh, industry, what they do is they take the herd and they take the herd and they shoot it down a, a fence that it gets narrow and narrow and narrow until they finally can't move. And while they're in that cattle squeeze, they actually put their head in and this cow cannot move now. And that's where they either administer uh, you know, medicine or clean it out, take all the stuff. Because that cow now is, it's got no control. It is utterly amazed. And I'm forgetting, you guys, man, killing me. Okay, anyway, so it means that. That's the picture. Or it could hold completely a prisoner or to be held willing to suffer from. So this word, controlled, is no polite word. It is not some easy feeling thing. Um, Paul says God's love is controlling him. See, Paul, who's writing these words, isn't doing it because he's getting paid from the church, this absorbent amount of money. He wasn't doing it because he was somehow getting fame. He wasn't doing it to please people. He did it because of one reason. God's love. What controls you and I? Are we controlled by our feelings and passions, our flesh? 
That's what challenges me when I'm reading the scripture. God, does your love actually control me? What does that look like even? Because I like to be in the driver's seat. And I think what this challenges me is saying, no, no, who's actually in the driver's seat? Does, does your love have the final say? Does this constant love squeezing me, putting me so that I am not in control? Well, God's grace makes it possible so you don't have to be in control. How many of you are control freaks? Thank you for confessing. Confessing is a great thing. You notice I put my hand up too? How many uh, are them are women? I don't know because my wife, she, I, I'm how many texts? She's off in Calgary right now. And so she went to a wedding. I had, could you please feed our kids more than pizza? I'm like, no promises. <laughs> so I ask this, how do you know when you're more than a conqueror? It's when you're operating out of God's love that is unlimited. Scripture describes God as that. We were singing about it this morning. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. End point. It is unlimited. And I will spend an entire eternity trying to understand that. Even when I look at him face to face. And in fact, he wants me not to experience that then. He wants that to, me to experience that today. Now is what the scripture is saying. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending love of God is what we were singing. It, that's what we want to build our life on. Amen? But what does God's love controlling you look like then? What does it look like in practical terms? Well, let's, let's put it this way. In mid-May 1945, the Allies had marched into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, one of the survivors, a lady named Corey, was still restless, and she desperately missed her beloved Betsy, who died in the prison where they were held captive by the Germans. But now she remembered Betsy's words that they they must tell others what they have learned. Thus began, for more than three decades, the traveling around the world as the tramp of the Lord, is what Corey Tenboom said. And, and she described herself. She told people her story of how God's forgiveness of sins and the need of people to forgive those who had harmed them. But this put, was put to the test in 1947. While speaking in a Munich church, at the close of the service, a, service, a bald man in gray overcoat stepped towards to greet her. And Corey froze. She knew this man very well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook, one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. This is what Corey says in her book. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with this, its harsh overhead lights, the, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he is pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, A fine message, Fräulein. How good is it that you know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea? And now, she who had spoken so ghibli about forgiveness fumbled in her pocket rather than take the hand. He could not remember her, of course. He couldn't remember uh, all the thousand prisoners uh, of women that he had been there with. And, And he said, but she remembered him. And that leather crop swinging from his belt, it was a face-to-face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. 
You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He said, I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me and the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins again and again had to be forgiven. I stumped to forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? I couldn't. So standing there before this former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So Corey thrust out her hand, and as she did, an incredible thing took place. Corey says and recalls this, a current started from her shoulder and raced down her arm, sprang into, her jo- into their joined hands, and then this healing warmth came over Corey that fluttered her whole being, being, bringing tears. I forgive you, brother, she cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped at each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized that was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God controlling us. That's what it looks like. And I go, God, is that what it means to have your love infecting me and surrounding me? And I'm building upon that love. Well, grace makes it, God's grace makes it possible. And only through God to have his love take control. Well, the second thing we learn from this is God's grace makes it possible because of this. His love changes the way we look at people. And verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, what does it mean to regard someone as a, in, in the flesh? What is, what is he trying to get at? What is Paul talking about? It means seeing people by worldly standards. How often does God say, I want you to renew your mind? Why does he tell us that? Do you know how easy it is for us to start thinking like the world? And God's thoughts are absolutely, absolutely opposite. His kingdom is not of this world. And I don't want to be in the kingdom of this world. I want to be in the kingdom of his marvelous light. That's extra. It wasn't in the notes, but there you go. You see, it means we have a distorted way of seeing people without Christ. Pharisee Paul had, an, had according to the flesh, uh, way of seeing Jesus. He saw Jesus in a distorted way. He saw him, he, the way of he saw Jesus was he saw him as a heretic, a false prophet. And then suddenly he encounters the Holy Spirit and he has an, an absolute change. His eyes are open. He sees who Jesus is. And he says, I regard him no longer like that. 
Another example of seeing someone according to the flesh was David's dad, um, Jesse. Now, this is the one thing that I'm going to share from the Conquer series. We're not repeating the Conquer series here. We're just preaching what we feel we need to hear as a community. But I found this struck me so intensely when I heard this in the Conquer series uh, about David. Um, the Conquer series says, often we do things to medicate because we have wounded hearts. And they asked this question, why did, why did David look towards Bathsheba? Although he loved God and he knew his commands, he, dis, he fell into sin. Why did David do that? And what they say is possible David had a wounded spirit, a wounded heart. And these wounds could have led to him looking for love in all the wrong places. Do you know there are people looking for love in all the wrong places? Do you know there are Christians looking for love in all the wrong places? Do you know we can do that? We can look for things that would maybe, because we are feeling wounded, and we're going to go to that because that'll give us some relief. Well, why would we say David? Well, this is the interesting thing. Where would David get such a wound? Well, it says the Bible shares that when Samuel goes to Jesse's house to look for the future king, Jesus, or Jesse lines up all his sons. And Samuel sees the oldest, and guess what Samuel says? <gasps> this is the guy! And what does God say to Samuel? Ken's like, ah. God says this, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, for the Lord sees not as man sees. He's, he looks to, man looks to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Jesse has his sons presented to themselves all but David. Then Samuel says to, to Jesse, are all your sons here? And, and this is what Jesse's reply is. There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Now, youngest is actually, again, another poor translation. The word is katan or katan. And what that word is, is translated as unimportant or insignificant. Imagine that David grew up with his dad saying, don't worry about him. He's unimportant or insignificant. What a wound. What an absolute wound. You see, often when we see people, we put them into four categories. Favored. Boring. Broken. Loser. Anyone think you're a loser? Come on, you would never feel that way. Well... If you looked in the mirror today, which category would you put yourself in? Or what category do you put others in? Do you see yourself as unimportant? That isn't what God says. God actually does not put lids on us. He does not define us by those terms. He does not. And I believe this, that God's Grace makes it impossible, or makes it possible, <laughs> to change the way we see ourselves, first of all. There is no second-class citizen in the kingdom. Did you know God has favorites? Oh, yes, exactly. Someone caught it. He has favorites. Uh, Michelle, you are God's favorite. Oh, oh, Dale, you are God's favorite. And Ken, you are God's favorite. Oh, and you know what? I, I would have put... Who, 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 Bert, I forgot your son's name. 
Daryl. Derek, you are God's favorite. Derek. In our mind, we have no grid because we think, wait a minute, favored means there is a limit amount. You, can, you can't favor everyone. That's impossible. I have limited love. There is no way that I could say, well, I favor you and I favor you and I favor you. You can't do that, Norm. That is impossible. But God can. He is unlimited and he has the ability to pour out favor on everyone. Equally, that the same love that he has in Christ now in you. It is unlimited. We have the inability to grab that concept. So, Lord, you're, you favored? I'm favored this morning? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're favored. But more importantly, say it to yourself. That's the point. But also, God's grace makes it possible to overcome the temptation uh, to see the way to see others. To not regard others lustfully. To not look down on someone as, though they're, as if you're above them. God's grace makes it possible so that we don't attribute wrong motives to someone else. You see, God's grace makes it possible for us not to slander a brother or a sister. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Ask yourself, did you say anything this week that slandered someone else? I, I, I worry sometimes thinking, really? God can help me? Yes. God, with God's grace, it is possible that I actually have a control over my tongue. James says it's a world of fire. But do you not have a, the spirit? Did you know that he can control your tongue? Anyone been filled with the Spirit speaking tongues? That was free. That was extra too. There we go. I'm going to give you another example of this. What God's grace makes it possible. I can choose in my mind to treat people like Christ treats people. He treated them like how he treated the women at the well or the demon-possessed man or the tax collector or the woman caught in adultery. See, there's a famous actor, Mark Hamill, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker, he understands that grace makes it possible to ch- the way we can be seen by others and how we can be changed in that. Mark Hamill, uh, he was really an unknown actor um, before he en- did Star Wars. When he did Star Wars, the movie, he, he shot up in, in stardom. He became a celebrity right, right away. In fact, he signed up right away to do the next one, Empire Strikes Back, because it was such a big hit. But there were some complications because, because of this popularity, he landed him a potential TV show. He was, he was offered a TV show. But just days before filming, it was about to begin, Mark got involved in a car accident, which left him broken, a broken nose and a scar on his face. Well, what happened was this. The TV show, having no use for a disfigured star, quickly released Hamill from, Hamill from his contract. But George had a different reaction or response. Seeing his actor scarred and bruised, Lucas rewrote the entire opening of the movie to have Hamill in it. In fact, this is the, the legend of this is that 
that the empire strike back, um, rather than being on a jungle, which was originally scripted, opened up on an ice planet, allowing Hamill's face to be covered to heal. And, and then he meets a terrible snow monster, which hits his face and it leaves this massive scar and it becomes a part of the movie. God uses this disfigurement to actually, or Lucas, sorry, makes this disfigurement a part of the movie, which enhanced, it made it better. See, so many of us are disfigured by life, and we assume God will respond to us like that TV company. Sorry, you're rejected. But God's grace makes it possible to see God works everything for good for those who love him. And think about what that is. I can take every circumstance, every situation, everything it has, and turn it for my good and my glory. I don't know. That, that tells me I have a God that can rewrite history. I have a God that works everything. In fact, he knows the future. He can help me when I got, am guided by him. That is powerful. That means it is impossible for you to say, I am too broken. I am too stuck. I have too many sins. I, I, there is no way God can use me. God's going, I <laughs> make a way where there's no way. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Forget the former things. I'm going to let streams run in the river, in the, in the valley, in the deserts, is what Isaiah 43 says. The Bible says, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for you. What did Jesus see in us while we were still sinners? That he'd be willing to die. One of the things that I love about the prophetic, and this is again off the notes, the prophetic is this, it's seeing the original intent that a person is before sin entered. Just think about what I just said. When I'm prophesying to somebody, I am not seeing who they are now, but who God has made them and who he is going to make them. That's how you build up and edify the church. I'm not telling you who you are now I'm telling you who God sees you going to be and I'm not going because you now have the ability to even speak into that because you see it. Can we still see God as God sees people created in the image of God and redeemable? And the final one is this. God makes it possible because he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This last verse is the ending when I have to emphasize this because I said grace is God's work, not ours. And it, notice how Paul comes back to God's work. It starts and ends with God. It always has to. If it comes on the work of our flesh, if it comes by our trying to do something, it will die. The flesh counts for nothing is what John says. The opposite of grace is me at work. It's me trying to do it by myself. It's when I realize I can't do it, and then, like I said, I hear God say, but I can. But God made him, Jesus, 
Jesus who had no sin. Jesus who lived a life of perfection and not because it was easy. It, in scripture it says he was tempted in every way we have been tempted. You have not faced a temptation that Jesus did not face is what scripture is saying. He understands everything we're going through. He is not distant. He is not disconnected. In fact, he is most likely right there beside you, but we are unaware of it. I will never leave you or forsake you, is his promise. But he was without sin. That's the most incredible part. He was wounded, did all these things, yet he did not deserve it. He did nothing wrong. God made Jesus to be sin for us. And that's what happened at the cross. Jesus came not just to show us the way to live, but to go to a cross to become our sin. To put it in accounting terms, our accounts are messed up. We live in sin. We have a prideful life. We have arrogant life. We have a me life. And it isn't submissive to God. But Christ, this perfect without life, without sin, made a transaction with us. Now, I'm going to explain it. It took place at the cross. Some of us think this picture is like this. When we get to heaven, this is what it's going to look like. Uh, we're going to come up to the heaven, to the gates of heaven, and we're going to go, and they're going to do this, this retina scan. They're going to come up and go, beep, you know, hey, who's that next? Uh, Norm. Okay, Norm, come in. I put a little retina scan, and put my thumbprint, and they're going to go, oh, yeah, Norm. Ah, good. Okay. Then what's going to happen at that time, all of a sudden, they, all the data of my life will come down. And in fact, they'll go, whoa, okay, hold on, bud. And like 17 semi-trucks are going to pull up with all of me. And it's going to be all there. And imagine, uh, they take all that stuff. Now, imagine if I could take all of that 17 semi-trucks of stuff and put it onto one little card. That's impossible, but remember, he can do it. So he's going to put all of that on this one little card. And he's going to take it, and it's going to be all the wrong shrunk in there. And he's going to, and he's going to, the angel is going to look at the angel, he's going to look at it and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at Norm's stuff. Oh, oh, that's heavy. That's, whoa. Man, Norm is in trouble. <laughs> uh, what, what's, I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, and then what they're going to do is they're going to go, uh, Jesus, and they're going to hand it to Jesus, and Jesus is going to go, oh, wow, that, that's, a, that's a hot mess, Norm. Oh, baby. Uh, well, uh, well uh, you know what? I'm perfect, so I got an idea. I'm just going to write on the back, Jesus. And so then they're going to hand it back to the angels. The angels are going to, oh, okay, whoa. And, and I'm going to be like, they're like, man, Norm, this is a lot of stuff. And I go, yeah, no, no, but read the back. Read the back. Very important. Read the back. And they're going to, and they're going to go like, oh, it's written, Jesus. Come on in. That's great. Yeah, you, you got it. Uh, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the news, right? Don't clap. It's wrong theology terrible theology. And I'm not picking on you because I think we think that, but that's not what the scripture actually said. He didn't just take away my sin. He didn't wave a magic wand and wash me. He became sin for me. And then I became and took his righteousness. A transaction happened. There was a credible cost 
for me to become righteous. And when you understand that, it changes you. It absolutely changes you when somebody comes and says, I have not only am forgiving you, but I'm taking all of it from you and it's going to be mine. And I did not have any, you, I did nothing to deserve this. I did nothing to deserve this, but I'm going to take it from you. That's grace. And when you get that, it gets you. And how can you not respond to somebody else without, but with grace? Mercy. You have a love because compassion. He who died for me while yet, and he still is taking my sins on. It changes how I deal with my spouse and how I deal with my kids, how I deal with my coworkers and how they deal with me. Ken, you're amazing. How many times it's like, Lord, forgive him in Jesus name. I mean, I know it because I think you actually believe that all those sins, Jesus paid for them. We then have nothing hindering us. We are righteous. When I understand that grace, it starts from God working and the cost, it, it absolutely changes me. So God's grace makes it possible to be more than a conqueror. And only through that. God's grace makes it possible because his love controls us. God's grace makes it possible because his love changes the way we look at people. And God's grace makes it possible because he who was without sin became sin for us so that we may be the righteousness of God. I just want to close in this last thought because it's such a privilege to have Keith here. And I'll tell you a quick story and it's going to get emotional. Uh, Because when I first came to Gateway, I came from another denomination. I've been a pastor for several years. And I didn't know what I was going to do because I knew God had called me to be a youth pastor. So I said, oh, I'm going to come to this church. But I was a little nervous because I've been brought up a different way about how pastors operate in church. My friend of mine who actually was a pastor, he was a, a single guy. He ended up getting released from ministry because it was exposed that he had a sin. And he was let go. And I know that nobody, it's not like you wake up one day and decide to sin, but that was the reality. And so inside was this internal, uh, internal challenge going, how do you be honest if you know that you can be judged or even let go? So I have this guarded heart coming to Gateway. Because this is what I think how pastors have to operate. Well, God sets me up. I go to this little conference in Calgary, and what happens is there's Keith, and Keith sits down with me. Now, had I known he was prophetic, which means he might know God's telling him stuff about me, had I known he was an elder, I would not have shared any of the stuff that I was thinking, but suddenly, he didn't tell me that. He just let me talk. How are you? I'm going to this church. Oh, how are you feeling? And I actually found this weird feeling. I could tell him everything. I felt like grace was there. This guy, well, well when, I, when I came to, become, to hear for the interview, and then I saw him right there, I was like, oh no, he knows all my junk. Ah, how am I going to get this job? This is terrible. I mean, I opened up every single thing. They know about what I think, what I'm feeling, you know, the stuff I'm looking at. I told him everything. Oh, Jesus, help me. 
That's all I said. Somehow, grace flew and flowed. Because they didn't know me, they didn't know it, but they just said, we believe in something what the Bible says. We see something that you don't see. 16 years ago. I thank you for fathering me. You taught me the Father's heart, Keith. You taught me how to, this church, Ron, I, I mean, we every week share, we confess, we talk about, because we know that if we walk in light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. We step into his righteousness, and then, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending love of God helps, propels me forward, right? Chases us down. Thank you for being such a people of grace. So, Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that I would not be standing here if it wasn't for your grace making it possible. It makes it possible that we are more than conquerors through you who love us. And I pray that right now, that, Lord, fill us with your grace. I'm asking for your love to pour into us afresh and anew, a love that is unlimited, a love that is, we're baptized afresh in you. Lord, don't let anyone leave here this morning if they don't know your love. If they have not understand that you've paid the price, that you are, they are transformed and new creatures because of your blood, then Lord, make it so. And everyone said, amen. You're beautiful people.